endocannabinoid system, anandamide, endocannabinoid deficiency, THC, CBG, cannabis, the bliss molecule. The American Journal of Endocannabinoid Medicine welcomes you to AGEM Live, interviews with physicians on the front lines of endocannabinoid medicine and the scientists behind the industry's top research trials. Can you talk about some of the research out there and how it's conducted regarding exploring the effects of CBD? Was this the first clinical trial anywhere to explore the relationship between cannabis and autism? Can you talk a little bit about what your experience was when you were working with those patients and trying to find decent or adequate treatment options for them and what your limitations might have been? On today's episode... I have never experienced a time when we could so openly and deeply talk about psychedelics in the public with the media and with uh, colleagues from psychiatry or, or people from other sciences. So the stigma, at least in the groups that are uh, concerned with clinical stuff, is slowly dissolving. Hello, this is Larry Luxner reporting for AGM Live. I'm at the Insight 2023 conference in Berlin. The motto for this year's conference is Bridging Therapy, Research, and Society. We're talking with Dr. Henrik jung Arbele, founder and director of the Mind Foundation, which has organized this biannual event since 2019. This year, 700 people attend the conference in person, with several hundred more online. Dr. Jung, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. So what is the purpose of this conference? What do you hope to achieve? And uh, what are some of the highlights? We want to bring together international experts in psychedelic science and therapy and also society to uh, bring uh, a scientific-based, a rational tone in the sometimes uh, a little bit irrational debate about psychedelics. So part of it is debating the new studies, but also coming up with concepts that make it easier for people to understand what psychedelic therapies are. Okay. So uh, for our uh, listeners and readers who may not be familiar with the subject, how do you define psychedelics? Psychedelics are 5-HT2A receptors. This, this is a neurotransmitter receptor in the brain, and that's the neurological side. But, but uh, more important, they create altered states of consciousness. So they change the way that people perceive themselves and the world. So they experience intensified emotions, sometimes the perceptual field is uh, is altered. Sometimes they have very vivid dreamlike inner landscapes. And um, in your opening remarks, you said that uh, we're still kind of recovering from psychedelics as a super therapy narrative. What did you mean by that? There are groups, some of them coming from the 1960s, that uh, have an, uh, a, a, an overly confident trust that psychedelic therapy will solve every problem. And it does not. If you're, if you're working with people in the clinical field, you see that some profit enormously from the therapies. Some have some profits and others do not profit. Yeah? And um, there are also these overarching claims 
that psychedelics could save the world from all harms, mostly uh, with the thinking in the background. If everybody took it and everybody was like me, then we would not have any war and any problems in the world. Okay. Uh, well, the reality, of course, is very different, and psychedelics have been around for a long time, and, you know, I remember even from Woodstock. Uh, but uh, how are things, what is the situation today with regard to regulation, legalization? Obviously, situation in the United States differs from that in here in Europe. Yeah, so the, the situation is a little bit different, but uh, some things apply for both uh, regions of the world. Um, in the last 10 years, uh, a number of studies have have been uh, conducted that are heading towards the approval of psilocybin and MDMA, and maybe a little bit later also 5-MeO-DMT um, as substances in clinical care, in mental health care. And uh, the indications they are approved for or tried to be approved for are depression, uh, PTSD, this is trauma, and maybe a little bit later also uh, eating disorders and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that if we could. Eating disorders, uh, anorexia. I've already seen two presentations on anorexia. How hopeful are you that psychedelics, specifically mushrooms, could could uh, help, could be a real therapy for anorexia? So this, this is an emerging field, uh, anorexia. It's also a little bit more uh, difficult than treating uh, depression because a lot of young people suffer from uh, anorexia. And we have ethical problems to discuss in giving uh, the substances to maybe uh, 17 or 16 year olds. Um, why could it be a promising addition to psychotherapy and psychiatric treatment? Because these substances create uh, a very strong effect on the meaning making of young people. So young people who suffer from uh, uh, eating disorders often lose all hope in life. They are not very well connected to healthy goals that they want to follow. And uh, a psychedelic experience could add a dimension to their treatment that helps them to find that. Then another thing is um, the psych some psychedelics like psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in the mushrooms that you mentioned, uh, they help to uh, strengthen the inter interoception. This is body perception. So, and obviously in eating disorders, body image, body perception is a major uh, topic. So having, having a tool to, to alter the perception of one's own body uh, would be very interesting. I also understand there's, a, there's a, quite a stigma associated with psychedelics. Um, uh, one of the speakers has already mentioned that. Um, is that stigma still with us? Is it gradually going away? Uh, or uh, how do people feel? In general, about I this. am in the field for 20 years and a little bit more than 20 years even, and I have never experienced a time when we could so openly and deeply talk about psychedelics in the public with the media and with uh, colleagues from psychiatry or, or people from other sciences. So the stigma, at least in the groups that are uh, concerned with clinical stuff, is slowly dissolving. In the general population, we also have um, books that have been written, like Michael Pollan's book, how to change your mind that try to change the stigma. But we have to say Michael Pollan's book also comes with a little downside. Uh, some people call it the Pollan effect. It creates an overly um, optimistic uh, view 
of what these substances can do. Would you say that the pandemic and people's uh, uh, profound reactions during the COVID uh, have increased interest in psychedelics? Definitely, the pandemic, the pandemic plays a role in people's search and perception of what works and, and how their life should be. A lot of people are very depressed. A lot of people experienced social exclusion during the pandemic. So the, the search for meaningful therapies or developmental tools, if you take it out of the clinical world, it has certainly increased and psychedelics seem to be something different. It's not just a talking therapy, although we have to say a treatment with psychedelics is psychotherapy with um, a pharmacological substance. But it's something different insofar as people can rethink and re-experience their whole life where they are in, in their lifeline, in their lifetime, what they're striving for. They, they, they have a few hours, a few moments of reassessing if they follow the right uh, path in life. Very interesting. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the endocannabinoid system, if any of your research encompasses uh, cannabis and its uh, related products. No, it does, it does not. There could be a relationship in the future, but we have intentionally focused on psychedelics as 5-HT2A receptors and not in order not to blur our research and the public perception of that. Okay. And uh, just a couple of more questions on the uh, regulatory side. Yeah. Uh, is there a big difference between the FDA and the European Medicines Agency when it comes to regulating psychedelics? Yeah. One of the biggest differences is that the EMA uh, focuses a lot on long-term durability of effects. So in the United States, uh, with the FDA, you could get a substance approved if you showed um, an effect uh, on, on six weeks, durability and safety and efficacy. And they have a, a very strongly self-payer system based system. Now, in, in most European and EU countries, yeah, you have these public health insurance uh, covered psychotherapies and public health insurance covered therapies. Uh, so that's why the EMA uh, has a much closer look on long-term effects, on public health consequences of the substances. It's a little bit more complicated and more expensive to uh, approve substances in the EMA. Interesting. Dr. Jung, thank you so much for talking with us. Good luck with this conference and uh, subsequent conferences in future years. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to AGEM Live. Visit us online at endocannabinoidmedicine.com.